Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. This show is brought to you by TalkShoe, where anyone can create their own internet talk show. Check it out at T-A-L-K-S-H-O-E.com. Hey, we're back for another episode of The Cellar Dwellers. It's Dave Nelson and... The other guy. We are the... Now, this is only going to make sense in the U.S., right? If you listen to Car Talk, which is a great show on national public radio, all of our listeners around the world... all. I know there's at least two of them, one guy in Australia and one guy in New Zealand. They won't maybe know the uh, reference, but we are the click and clack of winemaking. Or as my friend Adam says, clink, clink and drink. And drink. Now, and we know who drink is. <laughs> You're drink, right? <laughs> right. I'm clink. All right. Uh, Colonel Clink to you, please. Remember, the more you drink, the better, the better we, we sound. <laughs> Indeed. Hey, well, we uh, we were off last week. It is summer, sort of a slow time. We're, we're, we're not keeping to our regular schedule. In fact, we should have been here on Tuesday night, but it's Wednesday night in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, early August. That's right. In fact, we were both at Coincidentally, the Bucko game separately, and the Pirates lost again, although we had won five games in a row before this loss. Prior I that, believe... The team is no longer the worst in the major leagues. Oh, at you're least, kidding. At least for a couple of days until we sink back to the bottom. I think there's a high school team locally that's worse <laughs> than that. <laughs> or maybe we are a high school team locally. <laughs> we even traded away a couple of our good players at the trade deadline there on July 31st. We did, indeed. In fact, I left you a message at the game. Yes. They, they were serving Woodbine Estates red wine up in my section <laughs> <laughs> along with Bud Light. I was in the cheap seats. You obviously were in the good seats. I, you know, I think wine is more appropriate for baseball. I think it is, too. You know, it's sort of a, a laid-back, a little right. more cultured crowd. If it starts to rain, you stop the game. Everyone goes inside. Right. I think wine is – you don't find much wine at the ballpark, though. You don't. You don't. Well, I think it's there's beer. a – but I think Real wine is very opportunity for Woodbine Estate. You got a heck of a long time to sit there and let it breathe. <laughs> you know, between some of those innings, I'm sure Kevin McClatchy, the owner of the Pirates, will take my calls after we've been insulting his team for all these <laughs> weeks. I'll tell him about our desire to have some fine Woodbine Estates at the uh, at the next time we're next time we're at the ball game. Well, we we okay. So one night late in the week because we were at the baseball game last night. And, of course, the Pirates lost 4-2 to two to the Atlanta Braves. Always, Atlanta Braves. They always seem to field a good team. Yeah, they do. They probably spend more money on it than the Pirates do. But we were not here the prior week either. You were down in Hilton the Head. The other guy was in Hilton Head. Hilton Head, Hilton Head South Carolina. South Carolina. So um, how was it down there? It was wonderful. Nice and hot, sunny, a lot of great beach. And an interesting fact... You'll be interested to know that South Carolina, just this year, January of 06, they had a regulation, a law that all liquor in bars and restaurants had to be sold. I read about in this. The small airline bottles, right? Those right? little 50 milliliter bottles. Right. So Everything each time you open one of those, the state was going ka-ching, ka-ching. 
Now they can have open bottles. Well, and I heard that's causing quite a controversy. Well, here's how they caught us on the flip side. Ah, uh, okay. Drinks, they always are going to get you coming or going. What do they do to you? Drinks at a bar, the sales tax, 12%. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty steep. I actually so, don't remember paying tax on... I guess I don't really pay attention to it, or I've had enough to drink by the time I leave the bar, I never notice it. I was flabbergasted, and I asked I asked the manager of the one restaurant. Well, and that was that was for a mixed drink. That was for, uh, you know, one of those fruity, uh, you know, pina coladas or something like that. Right, but it, so, was, it was 12%. I mean, to be clear, for those who don't live in South Carolina or some other state that's extremely restrictive on their liquor laws, South Carolina has just done away with the requirement to have to sell liquor in these 50 milliliter, like you said, airline bottles. But apparently, the bartenders are a little bit confounded about how to mix a drink because in the past, it was like you take a bottle of this and bottle of this and pour it all the way in. Well, I told my bartender that even though the bottle's bigger, you still pour the whole thing <laughs> in. <laughs> no wonder you called me no. that one night so happy. No wonder it was 12%. I gladly paid, <laughs> paid the tax. Not a, a bad deal time. for uh, you know one of those giant bottles for two dollars and fifty cents. Not bad. All right. Well, I think I'm going to be booking my vacation to South Carolina <laughs> any moment now. Do it before the bartenders catch on. <laughs> well, and that's very appropriate for tonight's show. Sort of a, a a perfect entree or segue, if you prefer. We are now on the last step of home winemaking. I don't know what we're going to do next week, but this week we've come to the very best of the steps. Well, I think we could go back and start over and get our facts straight. (laughs) (laughs) We did have a couple of people criticize us for the occasional inaccuracy. They must be French. We'll see. (laughs) They probably are. We'll see if we can do better next year. But it is all about drinking the last of the Uh, 14-step process. And tonight... To celebrate, of course, we've got probably too many different wines that we've made over the years to drink, but we've brought with us a bottle of the infamous 03 Zinfandel and our newest creation. We just bottled it just, since our last show just, two uh, weeks. A couple weeks ago, a week and a half ago, yeah. The 05 Zinfandel. The 05 Zin. So it will be very interesting to compare these two. I, I can't wait. And while we're at it, one of the other projects I had was mailing wine, I mean, olive oil. Olive oil, please. <laughs> For those of you in the Popeye. Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board, <laughs> it was olive oil. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to mess with the people in the uh, United States Post Office because the, the U.S. government has some fairly serious laws for, you know, mailing stuff. Supporting your hair on the wrong side. Well, probably true. But I, I didn't want to get nailed by the post office. So I went down to the uh, friendly folks at... Uh, United Parcel Service, the UPS store, as it were. And, you know, now we had made this deal with uh, Richard Williams. Richard, thank you. We got your uh, olive oil, both the white and the red. Yes, indeed. By the way, we should do a little little plug. Uh, Nice-looking label, Richard. Sleeping Dog. I like it. 2004 Pinot Noir. Winemaker Dean Shaw of Central, is it Otago? Otago? I don't know. I'm not an expert on New Zealand. You say Otago, I'll say Otago. <laughs> right. And viticulture. <laughs> and I'll get to New Zealand before you. <laughs> Richard Williams have produced this warm, richly textured Pinot Noir. Beautiful. The wine exhibits aromatics, which we're going to be talking about in a minute. This is a tasting show of red currant, plum, and dried herbs. Nice. Hand-picked grapes sourced from, oh, man, I'm not even going to try to pronounce these places, but basically New Zealand. 
gorgeous, gorgeous label. This may we talked be... about labels uh, last show, right? Right, and it's it's this this really cool. fits our style. It's sort of some hand drawn couple of sleeping dogs, some, an ink sketch of some sleeping dogs, and I'm very pleased to see at the top of the bottle. <laughs> it's a Kappa. Yes, indeed. It is. Uh, and by the way, this is signed, probably not personally, but by Roger Donaldson, who is the filmmaker or producer who also owns this particular winery. Oh, cool. This may be, I don't know if they export to the United States, this may be the only bottle of sleeping dogs in the United States. Well, maybe by virtue of this show, that could change. That could change. So, uh, we're going to actually save this one for a future show because we've got a few other things to work Good. through tonight. But Good idea. Thank you, Richard, for the sleeping dog. Indeed. Now, when Richard's wine showed up, you know, it was, it was packed in a, um, it was packed very nicely, some styrofoam containers, but also has the, the shipping uh, container with it. Hey, uh, I wasn't even paying attention here to uh, what's going on, but David, I see you've joined us on uh, on the show. How are you? Not too bad. So, uh are you the uh, the David from California? That is correct, sir. And uh, did we mail you some of our olive oil? I'm drinking it right now. <laughs> <laughs> drinking olive oil. Okay, happy to hear that. Uh, is that the O3 uh, Zin olive oil that we... Uh, O3 Zin. And, uh, That's what we're going to be actually, drinking tonight. Now, now, before you comment on it, David, uh, mm-hmm. my partner, the other guy, you've poured some of the O3s in here we're going to sample, right? You've got this on the, on the uh, table? I've got some of the O3 Can you hand me a, hand me a glass of the O3? Is that uh, that's the O3? Now, for uh, those of you out in uh, podcasting land, it should be noted that we have several different glasses we're going to talk about tonight, but... Uh, the other guy kept the large glass and handed uh, me <laughs> the smaller glass. I kept the Bordeaux glass for myself. But I'm going to sample this. And, uh, David, um, and by the way, uh, Mr. Warden, Jay, I see you've joined the show, so welcome along. You've got yourself muted. So, uh, But welcome to Cellar Dwellers. Uh, so, uh, David, what do you, um, do you have comments on the uh, Zinfandel? Did it survive the shipping? Oh, yeah, it was fine. Uh, I actually opened it yesterday, and I just had a small glass. And it, it's really opened up today. Yeah, we found that ourselves. We often will decant it like in the morning before we're going to drink. So we pour it, literally pour it into a different container, right. let it oxygenate and sit all day long because it's such a young, tight wine. So you're drinking something you actually opened yesterday and let breathe for 24 hours. Well, I actually... Um I poured a small glass yesterday and let it sit for an hour, and I swirled it a couple times. Uh, but it, it's much better today. And I imagine tomorrow will be really good. You don't want to let it go too far, but it actually does do quite well for 24 or 48 hours. It really does. Now, did you just have a birthday recently, David? I remember you were going to save this until at least your birthday, which, I, if I recall, was in June. Yeah, at the end of June. Well, happy birthday, and I'm glad you've been able to join us with the uh, O3 Zin olive oil. Yeah, cheers. Indeed, cheers. Very good. I'm glad you've also uh, been able to uh, listen to lo- along to the show, and we've we certainly enjoyed your uh, your emails and uh, and uh, exchanging information with you. Thank good you deal. Much. Good Thank deal. You for your efforts to get this olive oil to me. Yes, well, no problem. We uh, Across state lines. We like to, you uh, shouldn't admit that on the air. <laughs> now we're going to have to edit that. We can, we, we California can. and Pennsylvania 
are, are contiguous, they, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. And I, I don't think they're actually separate states. And, and, and olive oil, you can, you know, I've taken olive oil into Ohio before. How have we done, David, in terms of answering the kinds of questions that you have? Are, are you actually a home winemaker or you're just an expert uh, wine drinker? I'm an expert drinker, yes. All right. Well, that's that's really our favorite thing, too. We just make the wine to uh, to advance our uh, our drinking habit. Yeah, we're, way, we're really not experts at either, but we like to drink a lot. <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> you're having fun. That's what's important. Yes, we, we definitely do. Uh, by the way, I, I have an email from... Uh, a, uh, a gentleman, Jay Johnson, who had emailed us earlier, and he's in Ohio. We had uh, exchanged some um, olive oil with him, too. I shipped him uh, a couple of bottles uh, a couple of weeks ago, and and uh, he's still in the process of sending back. But he sent in this question. He says, I make wine in five-gallon batches, and I've never used oak, but I would like to in the future. When I look at the oak chips, I can't help but think this is going to be a hell of a mess should I add the chips directly to the wine in the carboy. If I put them in a grain steeping bag, there would be less mess, but it's all but impossible to get in and out of that you know, small hole in the top of the carboy. Could you please cover this in a future podcast? Maybe some other listeners have ideas I can try. Well, you know, Jay, what we did was we just threw the oak, whether it was chips or shavings, which is more like sawdust, straight into the five-gallon carboy. And you're going to find that it soaks up the wine over the course of somewhere between hours and days, and it eventually will fall to the bottom. And it's not a bad idea to stir. We take one of our, our big uh, plastic uh, siphon straws, and we stir the carboy for maybe 10 seconds or 15 seconds to sort of get all the oak up off the bottom and, and um, get it to uh, flow through the wine nicely so it's imparting its flavor. And... Uh, Eventually, it, you know, it's all sitting there on the bottom, and you can rack your wine where you siphon out all but that bottom inch or half inch, leaving the oak shavings behind. And you might have to do it once or twice, but you'll end up with a perfectly clear, clean wine. And you'll also, as you're leaving the oak behind, be leaving the dead yeast, the lees, as it were. Yeah, it, it actually behind. settles out pretty nicely. And and if you're afraid of uh, doing your whole five-gallon carboy, we've even gone back and uh, pulled some corks and added uh, half a, a teaspoon of oak to just some bottles just to try different oaks and different levels of it. And uh, there you could just sort of, um, uh, you know, rotate the bottles to get the the oak through the wine a little bit more, and it settles out and actually pours out. Um, first few bottles I opened that way, I'd use a some sort of filter and got to the point where with the shoulder on the t- correct type of bottle, um, you really didn't even need to do that. That was a great way to do it. What was sort of neat about that was, frankly, this, this O3 Zin that you're drinking, we left it on the or in the oak barrel for only probably two and a half months, if I remember correctly, other guy. And uh, it was nice to add a little bit more oak directly to some bottles, and we could experiment with different kinds of oak, whether it was oak... Uh, shavings or oak chips, French oak, American oak, medium or heavy toast. And um, as the other guy says, we would just, uh, as we're decanting it, pour it through like uh, one of those metal uh, uh, screens like you'd use for tea. And that, that worked really well to separate it. And that way you could experiment with different things in different bottles. So, so Jay, don't be afraid don't of be afraid. adding the oak. Stir won't it, turn into chocolate milk. Now stir it up really well, but then be uh, precise with your racking. Good, uh, good process. So, uh, thank you for that email, and hopefully that's helpful in your own uh, in your own winemaking process. 
So we're mailing mailing olive oil to all over the world. All over the world. Well, you know, I laughed and a little like bit. And it looks like you've got a receipt there. <laughs> well, yes. So we got interrupted. We went down a tangent there, but I laughed a little bit because I got the shipment from uh, Mr. Williams from uh, New Zealand before I went to the UPS store to mail mine, and he spent sixty-four dollars and eighty-five cents on mailing two bottles of wine, and I just. I laughed. It was like, I wonder if the New Zealand dollar is $2 to one U.S. dollar. And maybe it is, but it still sounds like a lot. Until I went to the UPS store myself. (laughs) Now, I mailed two bottles off to Ohio, to Jay, uh, $8.69. Not a bad deal. Two bottles to a friend in California. This was uh, after the uh, shipment that we made to David. And that was $10.95. And then two bottles off to Washington, twelve seventy-eight. We're going to have to send uh, set up some kind of exchange program here because, other than paying for shipping, we're doing this at at no cost, right, Mr. Right. Judge and Mr. Prosecutor. <laughs> so to ship our wine to New Zealand, now get this: I'm looking at the receipt right here, one hundred and fifty-eight dollars and ninety-two cents. Wait, wait a minute. Did they? Is New Zealand further away than Ohio? <laughs> Apparently. Do we have a globe here? I have to look at this. Did they see me coming or what? <laughs> now, I like the UPS store because the owner, uh, Nick Ambrogio, Bro- Bro- I guess, B-R-O-G-I-O, I don't know him personally, but he doesn't ask very many questions. You know? <laughs> so, I think it was worth the, uh, yeah, he made $191.34 on my four shipments. I think he's probably a happy guy, and, you know, frankly, I was, pretty happy with the whole deal. He loves seeing olive oil coming. He sure does. Unbelievable. (laughs) Bend bend over. You're going to need that olive oil. (laughs) I think we're going to have to constrain our shipping to the United States from now on. It's uh, it's Well, unless this sleeping dog turns out to be a uh, $170 bottle of uh, olive oil. Well, at this point, we've got about that much into it, so... (laughs) (laughs) I I hope... I'm sorry? Oh, you do? Uh, Like the New Zealand dollar to the U.S. dollar? Right, that would be $40 U.S. Oh, so Ah. it's actually less. No, that's sleeping dog. No wonder (laughs) he wanted to do an exchange. Uh, I suspected the New Zealand dollar wasn't quite one U.S. dollar, so, man, did we get taken. I mean, not by Richard. Richard, we love you. Keep listening. Keep sending us olive oil. i got to talk to the guy, Nick, at the UPS store. Well, also since our last show, we we had uh, this big bottling of our first of the O5 production. Right, the Zin. Now, yes, we're making Zin, Syrah, and Cabernet. And frankly, Zin does not need as much oak as perhaps the other two. In fact, I, I don't think the Syrah can take much more oak either. So I think we're going to... Well, this is where we disagree. Yes? Yes, I, I think you pull the cork too quick on the oak. So how long? No, no pun intended for the screw cap fans. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, let's. We'll you talk about the screw cap too quick. <laughs> we'll talk about screw caps. Remember, you're still stranded on that British train when they broke the sight glass on their fuel tank, because you've got <laughs> screw caps. I've got my corks. I'm not going to have a problem with it. But we did bottle what we had a 30 gallon oak barrel, and we also had probably 20 gallons in the car. About another 20 gallons, Right, so we bottled all that since our last show. Which worked out to what, about 200 and... Oh, it was probably close to 300 bottles. 70, oh, really? Yeah, probably close to 50 times five. 250 would be the math. 
So, yeah, yeah two, let's say 250. I didn't really count it. I, You know, for you being the numbers guy, I sort of blow your doors off. <laughs> <laughs> metric boy. Apparently, I have not fully prepared for tonight's show. What can I say? Let me let me have some more uh, wine. And ours is just starting to open up the yeah, 03. Starting to open up. But we've also poured the 05 Zinfandel. We have, but I'll tell you, David is exactly right. With uh, and and we'd I'd like to hear from some home wine makers for for red wine particularly, if they have found that in the first year or two of their wines, that it really does take a lot longer. I mean, I'd be deathly afraid to open a nice bottle of wine and let it go all day to breathe. I think uh, I think it could crash. Some really great wines are going to crash by then. But it seems like ours does take that long. And does that mean we need another year or two in the bottle? Well, that would be my Most conclusion. Likely. I think, you know, an 03 is still very, very young. And remember, it was made at the end of 03, and it didn't get bottled until well into 04. So this is really, uh, you know, it hasn't been on the planet for uh, for such a long time. I honestly think that the better quality wines and the younger wines need either a lot more aging, which is ideal, or lacking that maybe a lot. Uh, a lot more breathing. Hey, by the way, uh, Greg, welcome to the show. We're certainly enjoying the Zen. Uh, I know we've provided. Uh, Greg is a um, a local resident right down the uh, road from us. Hey, Greg. Hello. How are you? Hi, Greg. Not too bad. Uh, not too bad. Uh, have you uh, consumed the Zen I gave you? You're not, I did. Not uh, drinking along with us tonight. I think I owe you more though, because you've really <laughs> you have been a trooper. You've got me more empty bottles of the J. Lore. Yes, the house wine. Yes, you must, house <laughs> must enjoy that wine around the house. Except for the Woodbridge Estates. Yes, which I'm still waiting to get more of. Yes, Wood Woodbine. 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 I'm sorry. Let's not confuse it with that rot gut that from Woodbridge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the professional. Right. <laughs> it's an nap. California, that stuff. Jeez, that's insulting, Greg. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I have more bottles. Oh, what, that'll no, make it up to us. No, well, okay, you're in. Now, do, do the J. Lore labels come off easily? They do come off reasonably easy. So, so keep the J. Lore coming. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I, I'm pretty much boycotting any wine that has. Labels that are not water soluble. In fact, that's one of the things I ask at the wine store before I buy a bottle. Now, <laughs> Does this how easy label, that label come off? <laughs> yeah, do you have some water around here? I need to test the uh, the label glue solubility. By the way, we're so glad to have a couple of folks listening and talking and chatting here on the on the uh, the wine cast tonight. I have a, a, a friend in Dallas, Texas, who wanted to uh, has been wanting to tune in live, but. Had a little difficulty doing that, a few extra steps, but I understand there's some big news. Well, actually, there is. Uh, TalkShoe has a new release coming out in a couple of days. So here we are at the beginning of August. Probably by the time you hear this, if you're listening to a recording, you will be able to come to the TalkShoe website when our show is live and simply click on a little button to listen in. You'll be able to listen. No software download. Don't even have to sign up as a user. Don't have to dial in on the telephone. Cool. You can just click listen on your computer and get an audio stream. Awesome. To our live show. Now, of course, you always can do that to the recorded shows, but right. now you can join us live. And if you want to go through the extra step of downloading the TalkShoe software, you can send us chat messages, as uh, some folks are doing. Um, Jay, I say uh, hi to you. You're on the uh, on the line with us tonight, Jay Warden. All right, welcome, Jay. He's out there somewhere. Must have run off to uh, refill his wine glass at the moment. 
Well, anyway, that's that's good news. That's good news. It is. It'll make it a lot easier for uh, yet more people to listen to the show. Absolutely. Well, so uh, we also have the O5s in here, and just uh, I'm interested, other guy, in your. Uh, I mean, this is quite an interesting wine. It was crushed on October 3rd of 2005. Nice quality uh, Zinfandel grapes. The best we, you know, the premium stuff that we could get from the uh, Paso Robles uh, area of California. 23.5 bricks at crushing, which is maybe just a hint low, but would give us close to 14% alcohol. Did we use that many bricks to crush that wine? <laughs> Apparently. You know, we really should invest in the yeah, cement we blocks. Be. We don't need as many. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I see you. we have the actual yeast that was the used The yeast that this. was used, yes. This, uh, this one had, um, we broke it into two batches, and half of it we fermented with the world-famous Osmanhausen, and the other half. I'd love to meet that guy sometime, by the way. With a yeast called Pasteur Red. And both were more specific for Zins, I believe. Uh, they or were recommended they, for They Zins. both were recommended for Zins for Excellent. helping bring out spiciness and so on. But my thought is that the Osmanhausen did not bring out the kind of color that we were looking for in the Zin. Or maybe I should say, once we started aging it, I believe the color precipitated out. So we didn't get exactly what we're looking for from the Osmanhausen. I'm not sure we'll go back to it. But what are your comments on this? Now, it's fresh out of the barrel all of two weeks ago. It's barely been in the bottle. It definitely needs to age for a couple of years at a min- minimum. But what do you think of it compared to the O3? Well, first, you know, I think since we're the topic tonight is drinking, my favorite step, uh, the one thing that's a little difficult, we're drinking... <laughs> The 05, it didn't even deserve a glass, an actual wine glass. We're drinking it out of our, our uh, Riedel blue paper. blue paper cup. <laughs> we do have lots of nice wine glasses here, but we also have uh, four bottles of wine on the table tonight, and uh, we sort of we didn't want to mix, so yeah, we've got some that's in the paper cups, and probably right. deservedly so since it's so new, so young. But it what is, do you what do you taste? In but here? but one of the first things you want to do when you're drinking, obviously, is pour it into your glass. And you've seen people hold it up and sort of look because you do want to get an idea of the depth of the color, right? I mean, you're going to see um, our O3 Zin is like ink; it's so dark. And I would think I know we've had the O3 in glass, and it's certainly lighter. The 05, um, right. I'm sorry, the 05 is certainly lighter. So that's the first thing when you're drinking. And then, of course, swirl it around as you see people with a lot of money doing in a restaurant. <laughs> Me, I put it in a beer glass and chug it down. But no, uh, swirling it around. The, no, they're looking for the legs on the no, wine. You, you're looking the for the legs. but Alcohol-water interface, although I'm not sure it's super significant. Also, though, you're just sort of getting the, the wine a little more aromatic so you can stick the old schnoz down there and see what you smell. Or smell what you smell. And what I notice is a lot more fruit yet in the 05 compared to the 03. I'm also getting, I'll say, I find the oak to be very harsh at this point. It's not well integrated. You almost taste it uh, too strongly. And there's another flavor in there. I mean, there's lots of flavors I like, but one of the flavors I don't like at this age it tastes a little bit to me like something I tasted in other young wines, and I would call it, uh, back to that flavor wheel we were looking at, it, mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. reminds me of, I think it was called filter paper or something like that. Yeah, you were calling it filter paper. I was calling it um, 
I actually taste iodine. So you taste iodine. And that may be the oak, and I, can't, I have to admit I'm not expert enough to know if that's what too much oak at this point would would bring out. Well, that's obviously we had a big debate about this as we were bottling. You think it's iodine, and I think it's That's the oak. essence I have. Now, whether, it's, whether it's, that might be coming from the oak. But I'll still argue about you, with you about the oak. Well, let's Which, just, by the way, the 05 was aged in an oak barrel from 03 or 04? 03. So we put the... O5s in in the oldest oak barrel we had. That's true. So we've lo- we've already used that barrel twice. So this is the third. This is wine the third time, and so no okay. question it's going to need to be in longer. But right. remember, the first the O3 we aged only for about two and a half months, and we said, hey, it's done, and we probably under oaked it. This one I argued been, with you then. That it wasn't oak. <laughs> We're going to have to go back to the podcast and see who was saying what at that point. This one, though, we've left on oak for nearly 10 months, and uh, frankly, I well, right now it's it's very very oaky, if you ask me. I would all right. I'll, I'll agree with you there. By the way, uh, I think I think Greg asks a brilliant question here on the chat. He wants uh, he wants to know when does the other guy drink iodine? I mean, where does your experience with iodine? Where does that come from? Oh, uh, Greg, you obviously didn't have a chemistry lab as a child, did you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they all just I, ran together. I, I tasted everything in every <laughs> bottle I had. Ooh. Uh, that yes, sulfur was probably something when you got to it. The, <laughs> that was the tough one. Thank God I didn't take a sip of water after the sodium. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, I have a question. Yes, fire away, David. Is the 05 uh, less tannic than the 03? You know, right now, it it actually is less tannic. The 03 is very tannic, I agree. And I think that's one of the things that breaks down nicely when you do let it breathe. I think that's one of the reasons I like it. Um, well, as you mentioned, you've, you've had it open for uh, a day or so, I guess, but... Um, it, when we first opened the O3 tonight, it was a lot of tans. I mean, the, it was like uh, sucking on a tea bag. The O5, the O5, and I did that too, Greg, along, <laughs> along with my iodine. iodine. <laughs> the the O3 still has a fair amount of tannins in it. Frankly. It does. I think it has more than the O5. It does seem like it, and I, I have a theory on this. Remember when we crushed it? We actually crushed. We didn't have a destemmer. And so we dropped all those stems as they were broken and bent into the must. And we did separate out a lot of them by hand. And then over the course of the next two or three days, I used our, what was a glorified potato masher on a stick to rake a lot of them out. But I think we had, uh, call it a disproportionate number of stems in the O3 as we were making it. And so I think that adds a lot of tannins. So even though we left it in the oak barrel, which might be your other source of tannins for not so long, I think maybe that first step we we ended up with more tannins than we should have. Yeah, and I, I wish we could see the uh, grape side by side, too, to compare the skins uh, from the two different zins. Of course, no way to do that, but um, that would be kind of cool to see, too, because another source of the tannins. It would, but I, I think the 05 has a lot less. A uh, lot less tannin, lot less. even though it was in oak, you know, for a Zinfandel a long, long time. It'll be really interesting to see how this ages. And by the way, one of the interesting things we did with the 05 Zinfandel is we kept part of it in glass carboys and didn't age it in oak, didn't add the malolactic fermentation, 
but we did add certain kinds of oak chips to some of it, but not others. So we've got three or four variations of the O5s in, and we separated these out, and we will compare how they taste over time, and hopefully that will learn, help us learn how we want to process our future wines. Do we want to keep doing, say, malolactic fermentation on a Zin, where if you didn't do MLF, you'd end up with a lot more fruity characteristics, which might be sort of interesting in a Zin, and how does that compare to oak? Yeah, although the O3 did not have malolactic, and I would not say, and maybe uh, David could concur, I don't <coughs> think there's a lot of overfruit in this for not, not having malolactic. Not at this point. Yeah. Um, I don't know, David, what... what uh, what do you taste in the uh, the O3 Zin? What, what's your comment on uh, sort of fruitiness and the, the various uh, fruit flavors that you get out of this wine? Is it overly heavy, or does it taste like a, uh, we'll call it a, a, a production uh, winery uh, Zin? Well, yesterday it was very dry, and I, I didn't get a whole lot of fruit. Uh, I mostly got oak and alcohol <laughs> when I first opened it, or I drank it after an hour and then some raspberry. Yeah. And then when I started drinking it, I was getting raspberry, uh, tart red plum, tobacco, and alcohol again. It is it is very high in alcohol. This was, if I recall... Was it 14 almost, and a half or 15? Yeah, it Close was over 14 because the uh, we talked about uh, this, this year's in was 23.5% uh, sugar. Uh, the O3 zen, as I recall, was... 24.5% sugar at the time we checked the grapes before crushing. And then it, it, once they were all crushed and a few of those more raisin grapes got into there, it was almost 25% sugar. So that would end up to be a, a very strong uh, wine, although that is more of the, um, I'll call it style, of some of the Zins these days. People are working towards Zins that can go up to 15 or even 16. We had that uh, hop kiln that was over 16% alcohol. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had a 17% Turley once. Wow. Now, how was, how was that? It was fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> You're my kind of guy, David, let me tell you. <laughs> You're invited back to the show whenever you want to be here. <laughs> you know, we get this stuff up to 80 proof, I'm in. <laughs> hey, I also drank it on Maui. Uh, anything is going to taste good on Maui. I, I'm going to stipulate that. You could be drinking Thunderbird, and I bet it tastes good on Maui. Oh, boy. But while we were, you know, just to complete the story on the uh, the bottling of the Zin, and we're going to have to get to bottling of our Syrah shortly, or, well, I don't know, the, the other guy and I are going to argue this out for a bit. But uh, the other thing was we actually, for the first time in our history of making wine at home, used screw caps for part of our production. The other guy is very passionate am, about screw I'm caps. I'm smiling ear to ear hearing that. I'm, I am passionate about screw caps. And Richard, by the way, uh, sending the sleeping dogs with the screw caps, oh, I've, I've, that was a low blow. <laughs> if I'd known. You know, for what that cost to UPS, we should just buy a few tickets and hand it to Richard next year. <laughs> you know, actually, now that you bring that up, I bet for 150 some dollars I could have got an airline ticket to New Golly. Aye, aye, aye. Pete. Oh. Well, I'm very interested to see how the screw caps work compared to, we did part of this with screw caps and part with with yeah, traditional yeah, see, corks. seen a few years how they hold up. I will say the screw caps are likely to provide, you know, a better seal to the bottle, which may have its pros or may have its cons. Of course, you're not going to risk perhaps your wine being corked because of TCA. You're not going to risk having it become over-oxygenated. 
uh, or leak because of a bad cork. But on the other hand, when we made the mistake of not allowing our wine to go through the full malolactic fermentation, the Merlot in 04, that became carbonated but eventually lost its carbonation because the excess pressure was able to work its way out of the cork and we got a reasonable wine out of it, whereas if it was in a bottle with a sealed cap, I think you would have had Merlot Champagne. And that's the only the only plus side to cork. And well, that and fixing the leaking If you have a crappy homemade wine, use on cork. The train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Crappy homemade uh, wine. Man. With now, carbon dioxide. Now I know we're course. gonna we're gonna talk more about drinking, but I also gotta say the one thing you do when you bottle there is you've gotta clean up your barrel. And there's a choice of whether you uh Oh yes, after after you're done bottling. It's very important to quickly clean that barrel. It's a multi-step process, but basically what you do is you uh, get uh, a 10% solution of potassium metabisulfite, the same stuff you use to uh, kill off the stray yeast and sterilize everything that you're uh, cleaning. That's our basic stock and solution, we use that right? for everything. For everything. Uh, you get maybe about a gallon of that into a 30-gallon barrel and just slosh it around for half an hour off and on so it kills off everything inside there that's, uh, that's stray. And then and this is sort of a bizarre step, but we've got these sulfur tablets. You light them on fire and burn them inside the barrel while, while the barrel is mostly sealed. And I think that's doing two things. It's putting sulfur into the air, which must be, I don't know, antibacterial or antimicrobial or something, but it also burns up all the oxygen. So now you've got a barrel that's pretty much a, a sterilized, oxygen-free environment, and it can be stored dry for... Well, in this case, it's only going to be a couple, three months before we use it again. And maybe once or twice we'll have to burn those uh, sulfur tablets in there to renew the um, oxygen-free environment. Plus, plus, Greg, do not use those sulfur tablets like an after-dinner mint. They don't taste very <laughs> not, good. Not very good, and don't leave them in the barrel when you start your next wine. Not a good, <laughs> good plan. But the other thing that we're going to do with these barrels before we use them is we will rinse them with a citric acid, which is a very strong acid, uh, although an acid that occurs naturally in wine, so if there's a little residue, it's not a problem. And then with soda ash, which is a very strong base. So that's going to wipe out anything that is either not acid tolerant or base tolerant or either. So, you know, frankly, the, the care and feeding of these barrels is a non-trivial process. Not very expensive, but it does take some time. So, uh, you know, that's that's a little bit about what we've uh, what we've been up to. We'll have to come back and compare notes on the corked versus screw cap and the oak versus not, malolactic versus not. But I've got to say, this is one of the things that, that I really like about making wine at home, that you've got enough quantity that you can do a bunch of different experiments. And, you know, I was just thinking while we were talking about the preparing the cleaning up the barrels for next year, I'll bet the big boys, the big wineries, they're probably just shifting wine from barrel to barrel, depending on how old it is. And I'll bet they never let those things not have wine in them. I'll bet they're they're sort of shift, a shifting process, right? Racking from one to the other, kind of constantly until one's been around for five or seven years or whatever, and then they get rid of it. I think you're probably right. Probably and that would be, it would obviously reduce the labor and, and reduce some of the, the costs that you have with preserving a barrel that's in dry storage. And plus, obviously, if you use the carboys, you rinse them out, little metabisulfites, uh, potassium metabisulfite, and you're good for next year. So. Well, which brings up the point that some of the professional wineries, while when you take the tour, maybe you see a bunch of barrels, that they're doing a lot of storage in stainless steel, adding oak chips. I mean, even in France, they made this legal to add oak chips to wine just recently because it's such a cost-effective way 
to do it. So uh, I wonder if the barrel is maybe a bit of a dinosaur. And uh, I think it might go the way of the cork. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I must say, having been friends with the other guy for a while, this is uncharacteristic of you to be on the leading edge embracing the new technologies. <laughs> Usually you are at the other end of the spectrum. So I just got to say you've really impressed me tonight. Yeah, I've noticed you don't have any place to hitch my horse up. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yet you're rooting for the screw caps and the elimination of barrels in favor of glass, stainless steel, and oak chips. That is a little off-color for Unbelievable. me. Unbelievable. But, I don't but know I'm passionate about wine. You are pas passionate. I, I'm, I'm going to give you that passionate one. Well, so I'm, I'm Dave Nelson, and you are the other guy. Anyone can write to us on email. We are the cellar dwellers, uh, just cellar dwellers, no, the cellar dwellers at talkshoe.com. We love to get email. We answer everyone personally, even the complicated questions. 99% of the time we give the right answer. Most of the time, we'll share our olive oil with you if you'll share your olive oil with us. So we're, we're happy to trade. And I must say that one of the things that has really pleased me is the, uh, the positive feedback that we've gotten from people around the world. We, we got, Unbelievable. We, we got Given yet, the way you get your numbers all messed up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did get that one uh, comment oh. from the woman who said, you know, she enjoyed us even though we weren't always accurate. <laughs> But we got another five-star review. We've actually never had anything on iTunes, Apple iTunes, but five-star reviews. This comes from uh, somebody called D and, or maybe it's Dand Spatch. Uh, Dave and the other guy invite you to a menagerie of wine, laughs, and topics related to making and enjoying wine. Grab a glass, a bottle, a carboy, sit back and enjoy. You won't be disappointed. Five stars. So Wonderful. Thank you for another great review. Menagerie, is, is he from France? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. We'll see if we can get him to sponsor our show. <laughs> oh, we're still looking. Please, if you're, if you're from France and you've got money, we'd be happy to advertise whatever products you want us to push. We'll send you a bottle of our olive oil, even if it costs more than 10 bucks you know, to Ohio. I am totally shocked that we just haven't ended up with any French or actually other sponsors I can't for the figure show it out. in this whole time. I can't just figure it out. Unbelievable. We're masters of the language. I don't know. I don't get it. You'd think anyway. with the money that we spent on the UPS store that they'd be you know, ready to sponsor us. Well, now, Dave, getting us back on track here, we just bottled the O5 Zin. Yes. Now it's in bottles, out of all the carboys and barrels. What should our listeners do with those bottles now? How are you going to keep those around? What's the proper way to keep them? Ah, you mean as in cellaring. Cellaring. Do we Where we like to dwell. And <laughs> pretty much the only place our wives let us dwell. It's uh, The questions are, I guess, uh, do you stand them up? Do you lay them down? Do you turn them every once in a while? What's the temperature? What's the humidity? Do you have to get one of those? Do you have to have a cellar underground? One of Le, those? Le cave or those other fancy refrigerators. But, but you just got some of that on me. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that Lakoff stuff was. <laughs> no, that's a great uh, a great question because uh, you can't drink good wine if you don't have a place to store yeah, it. Because obviously, you can't have it laying out in the patio in the sun all day. No, 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 no. In fact, frankly, one of the things I worried about as we shipped wine, especially to New Zealand, is it's the summer, at least here. I guess mm -hmm. it's the winter down there, which I still can't quite... Uh, uh, that somehow that's not working for me. Well, but the corkscrews go the other way, too. We talked about that in New Zealand. Right, and it 
toilets flushing and so on. Uh, I worried, though, about the temperature because if a wine exceeds 80 degrees for any substantial period of time, maybe a few days, maybe even a few hours, especially if it's a lot over 80 degrees, you can totally, uh, you can totally ruin the wine. Um, yeah, which is a scary thought, you know, when you buy wine. You don't know. You don't know if that, that, that length sitting out on a shipping dock somewhere and on a pallet for a day before Louis threw it on the back of the truck, you know. Well, I'm I'm amazed when I buy wine. You know, I find a wine I like, and I go back to get, you know, other bottles. And even in the same vintage of the same wine from the same store, you get surprising variation. You do, and that could be from that or it could be from those crappy corks that you like so much. <laughs> I remain shocked that you're embracing screw caps. But anyway, you've got to store the wine in some sort of dark, cool Dark, place. I think, is key. Cool. What do you mean by cool, Mr. Passionate One? What? Uh, let's put some numbers on that. Well, I'm saying 56 degrees. And I see by your notes tonight you're saying 55 <laughs> degrees. Yet We're again, you've got the numbers wrong. <laughs> Uh, 55 yeah. degrees is way too cool. It should be, no, 56. <laughs> Got to be 56. Mid, no, mid-50s, right? And that is because, maybe by chance, maybe by luck, we, we could go back and research this historically, but obviously found that for wine, that is a perfect temperature for all the great chemical reactions to go on for the wine and the bad ones not to go on. It's not. It's too cool for the bad ones to turn the wine to vinegar, but the right temperature to let those all those complicated uh, what reactions I call the, go on. The to integration of the wine. Break down some tannins a little bit, bring out um, you know more velvet in the in the wine. All of that stuff that goes on. I'm not going to pretend to understand all the biology of it, but that seems to be the temperature. Fifty-five have, plus or minus three degrees. Now, having said that, I have to tell you a really quick story. Yes. I was ready to invest a lot of money into putting in a really nice cellar in my house. Well, as it turns out. When I visited a very famous uh, mail order um, winery, or I'm sorry, uh, importer in New York, White Plains, New York, I don't know if I can give their name over the air, so I'll just give you their initials Z Ackies. Okay, it's Zackies. <laughs> okay. And I so visited, cleverly disguised. I though. visited their their very premium wine area of the store, and I walk into this seller expecting to see some multi-thousands of dollar control system. And do you know what Zaki's had to control? And we're talking about 82 bottles of Lafitte and and 52 bottles of this. And, and I mean, there were multiple millions of dollars worth of wine in this room. I'm going to go with a um, Home Depot humidifier and a standard air conditioner. An GE air conditioner from like 1963 Holiday Inn. I mean, it was one that fit in the wall and in a window. That's what they had in this room to control the temperature. And it was cool. It obviously wasn't 55. It was probably maybe just under 70. But it, that's what Zaki's used. And I thought, you know what? I love Zaki's now because they saved me a lot of money. I got home and ran over to, to Home Depot and purchased a, a little uh, air conditioning unit. And even today with the hot, muggy weather we have, in Pittsburgh these days, my cellar was 66 degrees, which is about the hottest it gets with that little air conditioner. That's a little bit um, it's a on little the warm. high side. It's a little on the high side. I have three comments. Number one. Uh, I knew you would. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, 
how long is the wine going to be inventoried at Zaki's? Okay, uh, it's going to. I think I think a a thousand dollar bottle of wine is going to be laying in there a while. Well, maybe not ten years, but it's going to be in there possibly a couple of years. Okay, well that that could be a concern. If it's moving through there in a month or two, I think maybe I'm going to be you know okay with a, a little higher temperature because frankly, it's more about what happens. My second comment is uh, over time not at any particular instant in time. But, you know, the other thing that's really important when you're thinking about temperature is the consistency of temperature. Temperature variation can be as damaging to wine as a high temperature. And the issue is if it's 40 at one time and 60 at another, uh, that temperature variation is causing the wine to expand and contract. And if that's happening on a daily basis, I mean, you could ruin a wine relatively quickly, that's like, you know, think about it. You're putting pressure on the inside of the cork. It's going to breathe out. And then you're uh, contracting. You're pulling air back in. You're going to get a lot more oxygenation with the temperature variation with the cork. Now, frankly, this is where screw caps might come in. Oh, there you go. Screw caps might be okay through this temperature variation, but corked wine is not. You get too much breathability and you oxygenate your wine. It's going to be... Uh, damaged or certainly age much, much faster. Well, the time issue is why I have a cellar that holds about 400 bottles, and that's why I just make sure I drink 400 bottles every three months. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not worried that, about baby. that low keep, air conditioning. Keep it moving. doesn't matter. So, uh, you know, honestly, 55 degrees and consistent temperature. In fact, I, I think it would be fine to be, frankly, at 40 degrees and a consistent temperature your wine is going to age much more slowly. Oh, I disagree. I think some of the reactions aren't going to go at 40 degrees. Oh, I'll even give you that. Okay. I'll even give you that. But if you're going to make one mistake on temperature, make the mistake on the low side, go not the high side. Air to the low side. Yeah, what about side. humidity? Can you get too humid, do you think? Uh, totally, totally. So, you, what, what's, what's too much humidity going to do? Uh, more than 80%, and you're going to risk a lot of uh, molds, which could then end Just up... Just because of the... Work even, through. even at 55 degrees, if you can even at 55 that. degrees, I really? think you can get uh, get molds. And again, if you're if you're airing on the on the high side, then of uh, temperature, I think high humidity could really be devastating. In general, you want to be at 70 percent humidity plus or minus 10 percent. If you're too low, and you're using corks, corks could dry out. Could dry now out. you're going to get more um, oxygenation or or leakage contamination. If you're too high. You're, you're risking the molds, which could work their way into the wine. In general, actually, I think the potential for molds to damage wine is a little bit overrated. A mold on a cork usually doesn't mean a bad wine, and often when you go into those wine cellars in France, like uh, Chateau uh, uh, Philippe Rothschild, I remember going through there, and that place smelled pretty moldy, but mm -hmm. I'm sure they were doing quite well with their wines. So, uh, I don't know, aim for 70%. Not too high, not too low. And frankly, this is where I'm going to go with you on the screw caps. I think the screw caps make it All almost these things, irrelevant. might not be an issue, right? Right. I mean, it, uh, what would it matter if the humidity is 100% or 0% if you have a screw cap? So I think the humidity advice really relates to your your corks. But so good we've, question. That was a great topic. So we've aged our wine properly. Now we've got to get ready to crack that bottle open. Well, in fact... Before we get into glasses, because we're going to talk about that, but just tell me, how is the O3 doing versus the O5? Zin, that is. And by the way, we have a real treat here. We should break away from the reds. We screwed this up because you generally don't want to drink reds before you drink whites. But Richard sent us, we talked about the sleeping dogs. He also sent us a bottle of his homemade P3 
Pinot Blanc. And uh, Richard, I, I have to say, I've never had a homemade white wine. I haven't either. We, um, you know, homemade white wine is a little bit riskier than red. Red, because it's so deep and dark and intense in color and flavor, it can probably hide some sins. White is tougher. Um, so I haven't tasted this yet, Richard, but I will say that um, a couple things. Number one, I did notice in the bottle that there was a little more sediment than might be normal, certainly in a commercial wine. Now, that's one of the cool things, frankly, about a, a homemade wine. We don't filter our wines. Our red wines probably have as much sediment as your white wine. Right, although not going to see it. You can't see it. Right. Um, I, I wonder, though, if you are racking sufficiently. Now, we were very careful to let this settle for more than one week after it arrived, and we poured it out very carefully. So what's in the glass is absolutely perfectly clear. Looks, looks like wonderful. a commercial-grade wine. Looks spectacular. Um, but I, I wonder, and maybe you can email us back and just let us know, did you go through the racking perhaps three to five times over the course of several months with this white wine, which should bring it to sufficient clarity? Uh, or did you perhaps leave the um, wine on the lees for a very long time or not rack uh, as many uh, times as sort of the three to five that might be needed to fold? I'd, I'd love to hear because I know that we know the process obviously is different from for white than, than red. It is. Now, a, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's a lot easier, right? You, you don't have to leave the, the, uh, the must on the skins and all those different steps. A lot of whites are not aged in oak. A lot of whites don't go through malolactic fermentation. So, you know, frankly, in some ways, white might be a better place to start, but it's, an also, it's also a, a place where the flaws are going to show more obviously. I agree. Now, also having said that, since this show is about drinking, I've noticed that the white is at room temperature, as is the red. <laughs> so, so, Paul. So, You're Paul. right. You nailed me there, passionate one. You absolutely nailed me there. I And speaking of that, I didn't sufficiently... what are ideal temperatures for drinking, for consumption of red and white wine? And um, I've, got, I've got a comment about it, but go ahead. All right. You, you want numbers, guys. me to reveal the numbers. Lay well, some heavy numbers on me, big boy. Here's, here's my thought. I think in general that uh, the mistake that most people make is they drink white wines too cold because the restaurant stores them in the same refrigerator where they store the beer, which means it's about 33 degrees, and it really should be more in the 40 to 45 range. And red wines, as a general mistake, are served too hot. Too warm, exactly. Uh, most Took people's the homes out of my mouth. are in the 70 to 80 degree range, and frankly, if that's what you keep your house at, you should throw your wine in the refrigerator, your red wine, for 15 minutes. Bring it down to 60 to 65 degrees. 65, I agree. David, you commented earlier on uh, being able to pull out the alcohol as a very um, obvious presence in our O3 Zinfandel. And given the um, higher alcohol reds these days, when you when you serve a red at 60 to 65 degrees, it just takes off the edge of that alcohol. Sort of the same principle as why people like to drink vodka straight out of the freezer. It right. tastes a little smoother when right. you take 80 proof down to, you know, whatever, 20 degrees. So generally, people are drinking whites too cold and reds too warm, interestingly. Enough. I agree. And at 65... I can't believe you agreed. I agreed with some of your numbers. It took 14 shows to get there. <laughs> We're finally, but I finally agreed with some of your numbers. A, let's toast with let's the New Zealand 
the New Zealand. Come on, no, the Pinot. Oh, Pinot the Blanc. Oh, we're going to toast Zealand. with our Dixie cup. Yeah, Richard. Oh, right. There now, you go. Cheers. I Cheer. do. I still haven't tasted Richard's uh, Pinot Blanc here, and I'm about to die. I do notice. Uh, I have tasted it, and it is excellent. If it, if it were at the correct temperature, it would be <laughs> well, even I've better. Been it's very good. Chilling some for the last hour since we poured this, and we'll go get some cold stuff in a minute. Although it's sort of fun to drink a warmer red wine because you are white wine because you really you get more of the flavors. You get the flavors. Well, that's is, what happens drinking it too cold. You lose a lot of flavor, and drinking reds too warm, you get overwhelmed by the alcohol. Exactly. There you go. So there you have so, it. So I, I do notice a little um, carbonation, uh, some bubbles, just forming on the edge of the glass. Not just tasting a bit, that, but I didn't really taste them. I mean, there's just a little bit of carbonation, but yeah, not Yeah, I can see them there. Not uh, anything uh, real obvious, but um, it's just a, an observation. Okay, so I, I'm going to have to taste this. And we should we should comment that the uh, this is a, a Pinot Blanc or a Pinot Gris. I'm sorry, I, I, I don't remember. I forget. Uh, I thought it was a Pinot Gris. I think um, I do believe it was a, a Pinot Gris. And and the color is is gorgeous. Of course, it really it, is. It's uh, it's not as light as some golden. Pinot Gris. It's almost golden. more Chardonnay looking in its color. It looks great. Great job. Excellent nice, job. Nice job. So I uh, hope the Sleeping Dogs uh, holds up to the same quality. This this is delicious, uh, and um, if I had it at the right temperature, I'd even be <laughs> more passionate. You are okay. just busting me. Yes, David. What? Uh, what? There, there, uh, there's your idiom for the night. Uh oh. Sleeping dogs lie. Ah. Oh, oh, sleeping dogs lie. Sleeping dogs lie. Wow, we did not have. How could we go almost an hour without an idiom? <laughs> how did we? We're we're drinking too much wine. <laughs> ah, we are. Now we we now. And have, our waiter just brought us some of the chilled. Yes, thank you, sir. Thank you, waiter. Our uh, our Pinot Gris, and it look. Oh gosh, the bottle's frosted just a little it's bit in this humidity. It looks beautiful. Awesome. But I must say uh, to Richard, very. Impressed. This very is a impressed. Very, very nice homemade wine. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. That is delicious. No, it no, really is. I, I honestly, I wasn't expecting it to be this good. This is this is very good. Now I'd like to ask. Maybe David knows this. He seems to know more than us already. He's only <laughs> yes, been on really. the air for an hour. David, do you um, want to be a co-host of this show? <laughs> let, let me ask this: With white wines, is it appropriate to let white wines breathe? Oh, What's your wine. thoughts, Dave? <laughs> I hardly ever drink white wine. Hey, you are absolutely invited to be a co-host of this <laughs> show because I think if you're going to drink wine, it better be red. I mean, oh, you're killing me. You know what? You, you know, you just insulted about a uh, hundred million people. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, all of them were <laughs> French. <laughs> if grapes had their way. They would make red wine. <laughs> I think you are right, David. What are grapes now? <laughs> red wines, to me, I mean, let's just argue this out for a minute, okay? Look, first of all, let's let's stipulate. There are so many wines in the world, you will never taste them all. You won't even taste half. Although we're trying. <laughs> oh, we are. And we're, we're making pretty good progress, actually. We're, we're, we've worked our way into New Zealand at this point. But, you know, given all those wines out there, why not work with the red wines? The red wines are more intense, more complex. They've got 
more amazing flavors. They've got far wider variation than the whites. The color is unbelievable. Why would anybody drink white wine? Other you know, I, th I think this might be perhaps the dumbest thing you've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> in all the years in I've 14, you. In 14 shows. In, in 14 shows and a dozen or 14 years, however long I've known you, that might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard you say. Why, you might ask? Yes, why might I ask? Because wine is food, and wine, white wine with the appropriate meal is like heaven. You know, actually, you've got a darn good point. There. Oh my gosh, this is this this is a revelation tonight. This whole show. No, you really. I've agreed with you on numbers. You're agreeing with me. <laughs> it's shocking, isn't it? But you you actually just made not see. I, even after I profess my passion for red wine, and I I'm do passionate about red wine too. Occasionally drink white wine, and I think you just got to the heart of the issue. It's that with a certain food. Maybe it's the citrus or the grapefruit or the, you know, the some... Acidity, the acidity. Yeah, exactly. White wines have this balance incredibly of all clean acidity. Oh, with the right meal. Okay, so I'm going to go with mm -hmm. if, if I'm eating, maybe I'll consider a good white wine. If I'm not eating, I'm sticking 100% to red. I'll tell you, next time you have a steak at my house, I'm serving some Pinot Gris for you. <laughs> <laughs> bad, bad, bad No, choice. I would never do that, of course. But that's why I'm, I'm passionate about white wines, especially in this weather. My gosh, sit out on your porch tonight on your deck, and it's still probably 85, 88 degrees outside in Pittsburgh. I mean, we get a handful of these a year like this. And, and enjoy a nicely, properly chilled uh, glass of white wine. Mm-mm-mm. I'm telling you. You, All right, you'll, you'll, grow, you'll grow up. You'll grow up, and in future shows, you'll be you'll be we'll singing the praises wine. of white wine. <laughs> David, you got to come to my rescue here. <laughs> oh, what can I say? And you, you know, most white wines to me are just totally over oaked, and they're buttery. And if I want butter, I'll eat butter. Yeah, a lot of them are, especially in today's trend, huh? With uh, especially with Chardonnays, I mean, it's kind of a way to get to that point even if the wine isn't that great. But, um, gosh, if we did have any French sponsors, we'd be losing them now because of the white burgundies. White burgundies can be as pricey and age-worthy as any red. Well, I can, I, I can agree with you, but I, I think that compared to other wine values out there, the white burgundies, by and large, are, are overpriced. Oh, I agree. Maybe, we're agreeing again? Mainly because they're from France. <laughs> okay. Anything hey, over $10 is overpriced. You know, Richard, uh, I was complaining earlier about spending, what, 150 some $158.92 to trade our wines. But I've got to say, now I've just poured some of the cold Pinot, I think we agreed this is Pinot Gris, into my cup. And what a nice acid backbone your wine has when it's colder and when it was warmer, I really enjoyed all the incredible flavors I was getting out of it. But uh, colder, man, it just has this nice, clean acidity. It is delicious. There you go with the whole temperature gig, huh? Yeah. Well, there. That's this is uh, this is delicious. We're going to turn you on to white wine there, 
numbers guy. Now, passionate one, I think maybe we should just start devoting, since we've been through the 14 steps, we should just start devoting every show to drinking. This is this is really I thought we had every show <laughs> so far. We've had wine on every show. <laughs> you know, remember, listeners, that we've been through the 14 steps, and we probably go through them again as we begin to uh, make our next year's uh, batch. But just a quick review. Remember, if you didn't listen to the early shows, Step one is locating the equipment. We talked about all the different equipment, what you can rent, what you can buy, what you need, what you don't need. Number two, probably the most important step. Most important. Not the most fun step, but the most important step is finding good grapes because 90% of the finished product comes out of the vineyard, not out of the hands of the winemaker. And what's that famous saying you say every night before you go to bed? What is that thing? <laughs> I say you can, every night before I go to bed that I can't remember at the moment. You can make bad wine from good ah, grapes, yes, but you, you can. can't make good wine from bad grapes. The passionate one comes through again. Ugh. Step three is crushing and destemming the grapes. Fun. Step four is killing all those stray yeasts with your potassium metabisulfite 10% solution. And also the other adjustments, the adjusting acidity and sugar, Hopefully not amelioration. Hopefully not having to do that. Where you have to add water. Step five was inoculating. What did you call that? Bastardization? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> and I was <laughs> whispering under my breath about you. Okay. Inoculation. Then fermentation and punch down. Step six. That's a fun one. Step seven, the pressing. Because That's the most fun. Other than You're drinking. only one week into it, and yet there's some and real gratification. Incredible. 14% alcohol, baby. Barrels and glass is step eight. Step nine, the malolactic fermentation. Step ten, the racking from the lees, which you have to do three to five times. Then step 11, the final SO2 adjustment. Actually, you know, we checked our SO2, potassium metabisulfite, KSO2, and it was maybe a hair low, but we rinsed our bottles right before bottling with that. It was a little hair low on the O5s in. It was, and so right. what we did was we, we have a... Um, uh, Which I think is fine, though, at that point, don't you think? You're uh, already bottling. No, I think what, what's so. What's the concern at that point? Well, it depends on how long you're going to age it. If you bottle a wine if you that have has... screw caps. Well, boy, I guess we're going to find out, right? Yeah. But we did rinse the bottles with the potassium metabisulfite, which would kill anything that might have crept in there since they were cleaned, and also boost it up a little bit. Step 12, bottling and aging. 13, labeling, and here we are on 14, drinking. So those are the uh, the steps we've been through. Now, we are starting to talk about wine glasses. And remember how we resolved this show was only going to be 30 minutes, and now we're an hour and five minutes into the damn thing? <laughs> Let's try to bring it to a close, just so those listening on podcasts as they drive to work on Monday morning. Yeah, before they get to work, might hear the whole show, or at least part of it. And hopefully they're drinking along with us on their drive-in in the morning. Real quickly, Richard, we didn't have a label on the white wine. Which it- he told me he wouldn't in the email. I, okay, but if I'd, I'd love to, he could email me, and I'd love to look at labels that he's thinking of. Because I'm passionate now, about labels. He never got to labeling. He was too busy with the bottling, and then his day job in the vineyard. He just he did apologize. He never got the label done. Because I love his sleeping dogs label, so I'd love, love to he- see what ideas he has on that. Anyway. Yeah, that would that would really That'd be, be cool. That'd be cool. It would really be cool. And hey, maybe we can exchange some uh, JPEG files, and you use our images, and we'll use, right, use right, yours. Right. That that would really be awesome. So, uh, classes. 
Glasses, there are a multitude of glasses, aren't there? There are, certainly are. And what did you bring in tonight, well, here, other guy? Well, we've talked about glasses in the past. Do you really need a super high-quality $60, dollars $80, goblet to really enjoy <laughs> red wine? Well, I've got to tell you something. For 14 shows, we've been drinking a Dixie cup. And <laughs> it's pretty damn good to me. <laughs> but having said that, one of the things that I do enjoy about a large uh, goblet or Bordeaux glass is whether the, it's a it's a, a very expensive Riedel or a five dollar cheaper version of of that type of glass is its size and shape and it is that size and shape for a couple of reasons it does come back in on itself at the lip to hold the aromas in so that it doesn't escape as quickly so that when you're smelling and sniffing you get all of the aromas as you should. Which is really a key, right? I mean, oh, it's, it really is. It's a whole process of drinking. We really didn't go into we although I slush it down so quickly, I, I miss a lot of it sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, but there really is something to that. And I have to tell you that holding white or red wine, especially if it came out of a cellar that was in the low sixty uh, degree range, to warm it slightly in your hands, almost like a brandy snifter to bring that temperature up a little bit and uh, for a couple of minutes and then swirl and sniff again, you're going to catch a lot more aromas and essence of the wine. You know, that's an interesting point you made, though. They, they are now starting to sell wine glasses that look like, you know, the top of the glasses that we're drinking, but then they're, they cut off the whole stem. So there is only the glass to hold. And one of the advantages of a glass with a stem is if it is at the right temperature, you're not holding it up here and warming it beyond and warming you go. it exactly, right. and you right. really don't want to, like we said, 60 to 65, not room temperature for a red. Right. Well, and if you look at, um, if anyone's ever seen an ad for Riedel or reviewed some of these things or investigated into it a little bit, you'll see. Oh my gosh, they have a dozen or more glasses of all different sizes and shapes. Basically, obviously, everyone probably knows the red wine. Glasses are larger so that you can swirl and sniff and enjoy it that way. White wine glasses are basically the same shape, just a smaller version, right? Uh, some of them come back on themselves, which would be like what you're drinking out of. I gave you the smaller glass. That's more of a white wine glass. It, it is a white wine glass. That's actually a, a Chardonnay glass. Um, and because of really fine white burgundy, again, you can swirl and sniff, but yet for some reason they want to drink it out of a smaller glass. Go well, figure. and probably because with a red, with the warmer temperature and the more complex uh, aromas, part of the experience is what you're what you're smelling. Oh, absolutely! Right, and absolutely. Really, if it comes down to taste, what you can only taste four or five things: right, sweet, sour, salty, bitter. The rest of what you quote taste is really smell. I agree. Which brings me to. One of the more fun things we've done that we, we absolutely, or at least I have to recommend to people, we bought this professional wine essence tasting kit. Uh, actually, I got it from the wine enthusiast at uh, wineenthusiast.com. Cool kit. Not yet a sponsor, but maybe next week. Hope you're listening. We need money. <laughs> <laughs> to, to buy more grapes for next year's production. What was cool about this is it came with 15 different essences. And you put three or four drops of these essences into water. 
Mark them on the bottom of your cup. Mix them all up. How much water? Like an ounce or two? Like a shot yeah, glass, roughly? Like, like a shot glass of water with three or four drops of the essences. And then you taste these blind, as it were, and you learn to recognize the different uh, flavors. And Great thing to do. Some of these are obvious. Like, you know, it's not that hard to pick out which one was sweet or which one was sour or which one was bitter. But they also had what they called the smooth essence or the acetic. That's when I walked in the room. (laughs) (laughs) You remind me of a, uh, there's a billboard just down the road, other guy, and it's a billboard for beer. And it says, rich and smooth, everything you want to be. That's me, baby. That's you, baby. Acetic, fruity, citrus, metallic, pungent, mm-hmm. meaty, meaty, oak, meaty, meaty. Oh, there, here it is. There's a little bottle with a sirloin in it. <laughs> some grapes, <laughs> such as Syrah, are predisposed to displaying the meaty or savory characteristics in a finished wine. Uh-huh. It is uh, the essence actually contains MSG, monosodium glutamate, which is commonly used as a flavor enhancer, sometimes called the fifth primary taste. Uh, in in Japan, I think they call it unami or unami. I'm unami. Not, not an English guy. I'm a numbers guy. Unami. <laughs> Where are you going with I th- this one? I think. <laughs> I think that means you owe me. <laughs> Uh, if there's one of us that owes the, the other... IRS, the IRS has that one, too. You owe me. <laughs> yes, the IRS definitely has that one. Uh, you know, all of these different essences. And cool. The, the cool, cool thing is, was... It is a cool kit. We got to work on developing our palates. And, and frankly, I think most people, the first time they taste red wine, it's like, what's all the fuss about? Or I don't even like it. It doesn't right. taste oh, right. good, right? right? I mean, heck, I didn't even like beer the first time I tasted it. But it's one of those things where you develop your palate over time. And once you can start to discern these essences, like David, you were talking about you're getting raspberry and tobacco. And I, I love the tobacco. I'm going to have to look for that in the 03s uh, in. But when you can start to pull that kind of stuff out of wine, and, and this this wine essence training kit Helps you. And by the way, this is the uh, helps this is, a lot. This is the basic version with only 15 essences. They sell one that has like 36. Oh my gosh! And of course, as we looked on that 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 uh, taste wheel, there's like 200 that you could have. So, uh, a really fun thing. It is fun about and, and learning to it, yeah, enjoy the, red wine. The kit is great to oh, help like, with that, or to go to some wine tastings with some folks that are experienced in that, because you'll be drinking a great wine and say, "Oh, I like it," and then when the expert explain some of the essences that are in there, then you go, oh, yeah, that is cherry. Oh, yeah, that is vanilla. Oh, yeah, that is tobacco or whatever it is. And they start pointing them out, and then the next time you have a, a great wine somewhere, you say, oh, yeah, now I taste it. it it's know, amazing that they're there, but until you bring them into your conscience, conscious mind, um, you you miss them. It, it's so interesting you brought up that point. Because well, I'm I, an interesting guy. <laughs> <laughs> if I do say so myself, other guy... No, I you know I I had an experience uh, last summer. I bought uh, one of those uh, packs of Jelly Belly, forty flavors of jelly beans. I'm eating through them, and it's like I tasted one of the jelly beans. I like to eat them one at a time because they have such interesting flavors. 
and there was one that was just such an intense flavor, and it's like, that is so good. I, I know what that is, but I don't know what it is. And I looked at the back, and I'm reading through the you know the 40 flavors, and it's like, pear. That uh, uh. is pear. And it is funny how sometimes you can taste a flavor that is so familiar, and yet you can't say what it is. And so I really like tasting a wine with an expert who can say, just point That's them out, tobacco. Them out. Yeah. And it's like, that is tobacco, or now I taste the tobacco. Yeah, and now you have the conscience, conscious part of the tasting experience, which, by the way, pear is a flavor you're going, in essence, you're going to find in white wines, which are typically not in red. Eh, another, another vote for white wine. <laughs> the passionate one is so full of information tonight. <laughs> well, any other thoughts on glasses? I mean, does it does it really matter? I mean, would you... If it really came down to it, would you not drink a nice wine out of a paper cup if it came down to it? Or you're you going to hold out for I'm the going to, I'm going to drink out of anything. But I will say that I think enjoying a great bottle of wine out of a decent wine glass is part of the deal. I really do. I think it's part of the deal. I, I had one of the greatest bottles of wine in my life, um, an, an Opus um, I can't two. remember the year. Two. Opus two. Opus one. Opus one. And we drank it out of little cups you get in the dental office, and it was silly. It was stupid. We didn't let it breathe. We drank it, and, and that and that really, uh, I think, letting it breathe, swirling it, experiencing it, I think that is part of it. Now, do you have to spend eighty bucks? No, no. I, that I won't buy. No, I but th- I, I am... think five bucks or three. I mean, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of money on them. But I'm uh, totally with you. I yeah. think part of the fun of wine is the. It's not just the you know the bottle or the taste of what you've got but it's it's sort of the history of what went into it and it's it's the whole experience and and a nice glass is part of the experience and Absolutely. part of the fun it's like plate presentation with food i mean you know do you want to uh Right. It could be on a paper plate or it could be on one of these fancy square plates that's 16 inches around with swirled chocolate and Absolutely. oregano it's the whole and experience. It's it is. visual, it's olfactory. That's smelling, Dave. Um it's, <laughs> it's, it's a numbers guy, thank you for filling me on on that. It's the whole deal and so I, I will I will buy into the fact that it should be out of a glass. It just doesn't have to be an expensive one. Exactly. Hey Brian, welcome to our show. And uh Greg and David were were thrilled you were able to hang with us right to the end. They're, wow, we should send them. Some wine we should send them for listening some wine. to us this long. What a way to waste an evening. Uh, really, you know, we should have uh, informed people at the beginning of this show. Although we did inform people at the very beginning of our series of podcasts that uh, you that were, guy died. That listened to that <laughs> one guy. <laughs> well, we promised that first guy who has subsequently died that we would explain where the other guy's name came from. You know what I think is the funniest thing? The other guy has a uh, son who is now a fourth grader. We talked about oh, going into fifth grade, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The other guy's fifth grade son is referring to him as the other guy. I think that's it's not dad anymore. It's the other guy. Brilliant. It came right after idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, slight upgrade then. But... Let's explain. And Greg knows this story. Greg, you were with us on the trip when, when this happened. When the other guy was born. This February, we went skiing in Telluride, which I've got to say is one of the nicest places on earth. Gorgeous. You should buy a home out there, other guy. I'll come visit you frequently, <laughs> especially <laughs> during ski season, as long as I don't have to pay. But we brought 
what did we bring? Did we bring eight bottles? I think we brought eight bottles of our homemade wine out to Telluride. I, I believe you it was. carried four. I carried four. There were a couple that were. It was eight equivalent bottles. A couple were in the uh, the one point five. But just as a little humorous stunt, I decided, and, and this is the story of where the other guy came from. I, I never thought this would stick or last more than a couple of days. But the cool thing about making your own wine is you can put your own label on the wine, and on the back of the wine, there's usually a story. We read the story from uh, from the from sleeping, sleeping Dogs, dogs yeah. for Pinot Noir from. New Zealand, with the screw cap earlier tonight. Well, I decided, I, Dave Nelson, just to diss my wine partner here, I would create my own story on the back of the wine. And so here is the story that I put on the back of the wine bottle. Now, I didn't announce this. I didn't call it out to anybody. It just turned out that one afternoon, as we were looking over the beautiful mountains with the sun setting, the other guy picked up a bottle, and it's like, oh, you put the story on the back of here, and he started reading and about fell off his chair. Here's what it says. On the back of the bottle, it says, The Wine Story. This superb silver medal winning Cabernet was lovingly handcrafted by Dave Nelson and another guy. <laughs> Dave skillfully located the premium California berries by working long hours with a hard-to-find regional grape importer, while the other guy drove his global warming SUV a short distance to Cleveland to fret fetch the produce. Dave worked long into the night to crush the fresh grapes, ferment the juice, age the wine in fine-grain, medium-toast American oak barrels, while the other guy constantly harped about the loss of an incredibly small fraction of the product due to evaporation and daily expert-based quality control processes. Editor's note here, this was tasting. Finally, after almost one year of intensive atten attention and care, Dave bottled this fabulous creation in Bordeaux-style green glass, some of which the other guy had hastily washed at the last possible moment. The label art was rapidly scribbled by the other guy, but then Dave, using his amazing computer and graphic skills, transformed it into a professional print of unique and lasting beauty. While you enjoy while you enjoy this wine, raise a toast to Dave and some other guy. You'll be glad that you did. So that is a story that appears on the back of the wine. It was just done as an ad hoc ad hoc joke. Twelve midnight the night before we were about to fly out to Telluride. I slapped a couple labels on the back of the wine, but when the other guy. And we're never going to reveal your name at this point. This has become like too much of a legend, too popular. I mean, if anything, we'll we'll know you as the passionate one. But I must say, it was fun to watch you fall off your chair when you read the story on the back of the wine that we had, frankly, made as a 50-50 contribution. <laughs> We'd worked equally hard on this thing, but anyone who read the back would not think so. <laughs> Oh, 
say no more, metric boy. Yes. Well, so so there you are. That listener. was funny. That's a great. That's a great. That was funny. That was good. And uh, Brian, to your uh, your chat on uh, on on talk show. Yes, we have had uh, a good part of three bottles of wine at this point. And uh, I think that the Sleeping Dogs is going to maybe survive to our next show. I, I really hope we can save We it. will let Sleeping Dogs lie, yeah, we and we will. have to look up that idiom. Thank you, David, for pointing that out. We missed that, which is incredible. i actually been slow on the draw with the uh, idioms. Yes, I've, I've thrown in a bunch of idioms here, and the other guys totally missed them. You know, son of a gun, you're not really paying attention. Son of a gun. Well, we'll three sheets to the wind. Uh, yes, I think yes. Uh, three sheets or maybe even four sheets at this point. <laughs> By the way, did you well, notice Well, son I of just, a gun. Yes, I just oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I tried to I'm, slip I'm, another one in I'm, on I'm you. I'm letting them slip. I'm still so verklempt <laughs> over the fact that you don't like white wine that I'm just... Uh, no, no, no. I'm, I do think you made a key point. White wine with the right food is brilliant. Now that Absolutely. maybe is one out of ten times that you know food and the white wine go together, and even that is one out of ten times that I'm having food with wine, you know. Because frankly, I, okay, wine with cheese. I mean, are there? If you're going to have wine with cheese, it's red wine. I can't think of white wines that I w- would want to have with cheese. Well, see, there you there you go. We could pair white wines with cheese. For example, a Riesling with the correct cheese is heaven. Which cheese? Let's name names. See, Kraft. <laughs> Velveeta. Right, the Velveeta. Velveeta. Okay, I'm with you. If you're, Riesling, if you're, let me tell you something. Riesling My Riesling last night with that ballpark <laughs> Frank at the Pirate game was unbelievable. Okay, I'm with you. And I had the... Uh, I, I'm going to argue no more. <laughs> I mean, Chardonnay I'm, with nachos. I'm rolling over at this point. Uh, <laughs> you, you totally blew me away with that. <laughs> you are a son of a gun. <laughs> and we're just going to leave the definition and origination we'll be of back. that We will be back even though we've hit our 14 steps. Yes, all right. So we are Much happy thanks to all is, of our listeners tonight. Yes, huh? Awesome. They'll be able to listen a lot easier in a, in a few days, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I do have to ask, Even David, I'll be able to figure that out. Or Greg or Brian, all of whom have hung here till the end. Are there any important questions that we haven't answered? Anyone want to chime in with anything? All right. How about an idiom, wine and dine? Where did that come from? Wine and dine. Wine and dine. I don't know that that's an idiom per se. I mean, because an idiom, we could argue about this all night, is when you say certain words that seem to mean something not literally what they are. But wine and dine, I think it's a great rhyme. So I'm going to give you that it's a a slogan or maybe even slang. But I think wine and dine is more, you know, eat and drink together. That works great. Don't think it's a classic idiom. And by the well, way, what, well, okay, well, I'm well, doing your job for you. You were the one other guy who, were bust, who was busting me. I was me. busting you on idioms, yes. Yes, when I was trying to talk about where did quiz originate or whatever. I mean, you're, you were right. Quiz is not an idiom. It's more of a word origination. But David, I think, has a point because uh, when you're trying to win someone over, you're trying to wine and dine them. Is that where you're going oh, with that, no, David? Yeah, Brian, Brian. Oh, Brian? And, and, okay, so maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. So there is an angle of wine and dine that is an idiom. Maybe I'm right. These 14 shows to get the maybe I'm right? What is this? I was right from show one. 
<laughs> wine and dine, I like it. Well, we'll have to look that up for our next show, Brian. Our favorite step, 14 drinking. Gosh, we could go till midnight here. Yeah, we've pretty much stretched it uh, as long as any of our shows at this point, but uh, we we better bring it to an end. Because we're almost out of wine. <laughs> yes, it's a tragedy. But we will be back next show, and that's going to be next Tuesday at 9 o'clock. If you want to email us, you can reach us at sellerdwellers at talkshoe.com. And remember, the more you drink, the better, the better we, sound. we sound. Hey, thanks a lot for uh, tuning in. It's uh, Dave Nelson and the other guy. And those of you who made it to the end of the 14th podcast, you now know God something that uh, only two of you on the planet, oh no, three of you on the planet know <laughs> where the other guy came from. So with that... <laughs> Cheers, thanks. But there were a few other people in the condo that day. Oh, there were. You're right. There's, uh, there. Okay, we'll give you that there might be 14 and a half people on the planet that know. <laughs> and it's going to cost us a lot of money to keep it quiet. And we will keep it quiet, though. We'll distribute so as French much sponsors as we need. As we need to we need keep your yours. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks a lot, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Cheers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.